This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. You know, I, I struggled with this title, even though it sort of got stuck with it, every one of us. It's just not a you know, fancy title like I like. But it's, it's good, and uh, I still, I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm not going to betray it now. Every one of us. And so that means every one of us. Uh, that's what this is about. It's about every one of us uh, studying the biblical idea of involvement. That's, again, not a fancy title, and I'm sort of mad at it. But uh, uh, a church, and the type of church that most of us have grown up around, if we're just to be honest... About 5% of the church is very actively involved in doing what church does. And the rest, the 95%, watch them do it. And, of course, many of you have heard overtures of saying that's not right. And it's very easy to say it's not right. It's very difficult to correct it. And there's reasons for that. In other words, if we just say, okay, let's all just start doing something. Well, who's organizing that? And what are you going to do? So it's easy to say it. It's sort of difficult to do it. I'm a parent of six kids. And there's a certain philosophy that you have if you are of the wholesome variety of family. And you are training up your children to be strong in society. And that is that you don't do the work for them. You teach them to do the work themselves. Easier said than done. When that lawn needs to be mowed... And it needs to be mowed nice because you have people coming over that night. And you could give it to your 10-year-old, but it might not look very good. And it's going to take triple the time. Okay, you follow me? It is a lot easier to do it yourself. This is the challenge we face in any group, any dynamic, any family. And yet I think I want to err on the side of pressing it forward of saying, okay, even if the lawn isn't cut perfectly... Let's do this. Okay? Any of you that are parents understand that dynamic. And if any of you are in business, you know the dynamic of trying to train people. It's like, hey, uh, let me just do it. It's just, it's going to turn out better. It's just going to be faster. Everything's easier. However, it's always going to fall on you then. And so that tension is what we deal with, not just in parenting and in, uh, in life and in business, but in the church. And so it's actually very easy to explain why 5% end up doing most of the work. And ironically, those 5% usually grumble and moan and groan and complain about the fact that they're the ones doing everything. Isn't that the irony? The 95% are saying, hey, when are we going to get a chance to participate in this thing called church? And so it's a funny tension that we have, and it's not a tension I think any of us want. But how do we practically take steps forward? That's what I want to address. First of all, I want us to to get a... Biblical overview of this idea. And so we're going to dig into that this morning. Uh, There's a big word there. Uh, It's kinesiology. Any of you that are in the uh, athletic side of things may have heard this before. In the medical side, you'd know what this word is. 
But uh, this is what the, the kinesiology, the study of kinesiology is. is the study of the mechanics of body movements. And so we were at an, uh, an athletic training time with uh, Aaron Vogel. It was last Friday, the week, Friday before this last one. And uh, the term kinesiology came up, and Aaron was talking about it. And because this is what I was studying, Nathan, and, Nathan Johnson and I have been going through a study because we're preparing for our alumni conference on some of these themes of uh, spiritual gifts and how the body functions together. And I was like, that's it. That's... That's what I'm studying right now. Now, here's what's interesting, because for, for those of you that don't know what a kinesiologist is, what would be involved in it, it's not just a weekend degree program, you know, where you take a few courses and then suddenly you're an expert on the mechanics of body movements. I mean, how hard is that? Arm goes up, gravity pulls it down. I mean, that can't be that difficult to learn. And yet there, it's a two-year intensive study to get a degree in kinesiology. And you know what? When I heard that, it actually made a lot more sense to me of why this is such a difficult issue. Because we think it's just a weekend fly-by-night, you know, take a, you know, a night course on spiritual gifts and how the body works, and we'll all be experts at it. When in actuality, it's, it could be a two-year intensive course for us to figure this thing out. It's not obvious, and I'm going to go through that. So we're not studying kinesiology. Today I'm going to talk about spiritual kinesiology, which is the study of the supernatural mechanics of the body of Christ. It's not just the mechanical things like, okay, all of us need to do this. And I could give assignments to you that are natural, and anyone out there could do them too. What God has assigned us to do and how to relate with each other actually is not just dependent upon what we bring to the table. It's something God has to give us to do. He has to empower us to do which creates a strange dependence and reliance upon God to be able to do this thing. And most of us don't like that either. We'd be like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You want me to stack chairs? I can stack chairs. Well, being involved in this church can involve stacking chairs, setting chairs out. That's actually a very practical dimension of what we could say kinesiology. But that's the practical side. It's not the supernatural side. There's like a supernatural dimension to how we are to work together. That's where it gets a little sticky. So the two-year degree, Mastering the Physical Mechanics of Bodily Movement. This is an in-depth concept in Scripture. In fact, Scripture has a lot to say on it. And so you could say, well, we should be experts on it if we just read the Scriptures. Eh. This topic is not an easy one. Each of the New Testament letters discusses this movement and coordination of the body of Christ. I mean, every single one of them. What do you think the letters are about? This is how you guys need to be functioning. This is what they're about. And so you'd think we'd have this figured out. All we have to do is read through the New Testament. And yet, in just reading the text, we, will st- we still are left a bit perplexed. Now, any of you that have ever just read through it, I could ask you a series of questions, and I could see a fog bank hanging around your brain. Because it's not obvious. Let me give you one of the reasons. For instance, Paul has five distinct lists in which he defines different mechanical functions and movements that should be expected in a healthy body. That's a lot. But each of these lists is different. Now, if any of you have studied this, you know what I mean. Okay, So Paul gives a list like, oh, there it is. This is what we need to do. And then someone over here goes, but Paul also gives a list over here of what we're supposed to do. Wait a minute. They don't match. What does that mean? That's a good question. And they... I mean, there's a lot of reason for this. I don't want you to think the Bible is off or, you know, not right because of that. That's part of the brilliance 
and the challenge that is inherent in this topic. So Peter, who could very likely be talking about spiritual gifts right now in this, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. Sound familiar? As they do also the rest of the scriptures. In other words, what is being laid out in these letters can, when handled by untaught and unstable people, actually lead to destruction of the people and to others. How could the Bible lead to destruction? That doesn't even seem right. And yet if it's handled by untaught and unstable people, it actually has proven throughout history to actually create harm instead of benefit. The Bible is good. Its words are true. It is safe territory. However, it's been proven over time that people can misuse that. And I'm sure you could just use your imagination of how scriptures have been misused to actually bring about harm instead of what we in scripture would refer to as edification, the building up of something. God's entire purpose is to build something, not to tear it down. And yet many of us in using scripture, even ourselves, those of us in here, have misused it to harm either ourselves or to others, either justified ourselves. You ever uh, heard that statement from the men who understand themselves to be the head of the home? It's like, woman, submit. And then he you know, beats her, he does these various things because he has a biblical prerogative to behave that way. I think he is an untaught and unstable man who is actually bringing destruction on his own life and on his marriage and on his family and ultimately the church if that man is not corrected. So... The same is true with all of these little pockets of truth that Paul communicates. And Paul has a lot to say on these things. It's just that they're not always easy to understand, which is why it's important for us not necessarily to jump to hasty conclusions, but to see if we can get an understanding of what Paul is attempting to say in a global sense and then take steps forward. Here's a short list of what we know. God has given us very specific grace to be able to move. Now, I put move in, 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 in uh, uh, quotations to just sort of bring it to the surface because we are actually supposed to be doing something as Christians. There's an activity or an action to Christianity, and God has given us a very specific grace. And that's what it's termed throughout the New Testament. However, that grace, as you will see, gets a very specific term when it comes into this discussion. But God has given us a very specific grace to be able to move supernaturally as a body and function as a fully matured picture of Christ Jesus. So that's actually fairly clear in Scripture. I'll go through that as we go through our message today. Like physical exercise, there seems to be a proper form to the movement, exercise, and function of the body of Christ. So when I'm doing... Uh, we, you know, I get trained right now by uh, Aaron Vogel and then uh, Johnny, uh, his assistant, will come in. And Johnny is a stickler for form. Any of you that are being trained by Johnny right now understand what that's like. It's like, I, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Johnny, you can focus on someone else. I've got this down. You know, I have, and he's always, there's always a micro-correction that he can bring. Why is he doing that? Why does he care? Because if you get it off, it can actually strain different muscles. But if you get the proper form, that movement actually brings edification and greater strength to my development as an athlete. 
Four matters. It drives many of us crazy, but four matters. Whenever you are a part of any athletic system that throws out form, like, oh, we don't care if the ball goes out of bounds or not. Oh, we'll call it. We'll blow the whistle for this guy, but not for this guy. It creates chaos in any environment. There's a proper form and structure for how things can thrive. So when you see 1 Corinthians, Paul has a, a mess on his hands. It's called the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth is not doing well. And the church at Corinth has issues in this exact topic. And so the church at Corinth needs correction. And one of the key things that he's saying is, guys, God does everything decently and in order. Okay? You're not. You're chaos personified around here. Let's do this. Let's bring structure back to this. And just like physical exercise, if the form of the movement is off, then injury, even serious injury, can occur. Before he starts talking about some of the spiritual movements in the body, he talks about communion. And he's talking about taking this bread and this, this juice in a, in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Because if you don't, and you do it in an improper form, it has actually led to sickness among them, even death. It's like, whoa! In other words, there's a proper way of appropriating this grace. And if you take advantage of it, or if you do not honor the sacredness of what you are doing, it actually leads to harm. For this movement, I'm emphasizing movement to just show that it's an action of the body. Okay? For this movement to really work as God intended, it appears that not just a few members of the body need to be functioning correctly. It's not just that the 5% need to be functioning correctly. But that each member of the body has been given a special grace and a special part to play and should be playing it. So the health of this church, though it does depend on Eric Ludy being healthy, and though it does depend on me doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and doing it consistently and with integrity, it does. I'm not going to dismiss that at all. It also seems to show in Scripture that it depends on you doing what you're supposed to be doing with excellence and integrity. And when all of us are functioning as we ought, then this thing called the body of Christ actually does something in this world that, not, that me alone cannot accomplish. That I alone, me alone, that sounded funny. Where's my grammatician? Sandy. Uh, so there is something that I can do by myself, shoo you guys away, and I can still make impact on individual lives. It's possible. But there is something that God has designed that for us as a body to work together does something in this world and in the heavenly realms that Eric Ludy by himself cannot accomplish. Now that could bother me because you guys are hard to deal with. And it'd be a lot easier if I just sort of said, hey guys, you live your Christianity, I'll live mine. Many of you have had that thought. You see, church is difficult. There is a reason why Satan is hell-bent on destroying what goes on here is because this is God's chosen vehicle of revelation. He says, no, I've chosen to do it through a body, not through a foot, not through a right pinky, but through a body. So if I have a paralyzed right leg and I'm like, who cares about my right leg? Who cares about it? And then suddenly I'm supposed to sprint. I'm going to have a very difficult time doing it. I've got right leg. You better do something. Hey, I haven't been exercising that right leg. I've been ignoring that right leg. And now suddenly I need it. I am not fit and ready for the task before me. 
But even though I might not be physiologically excellent in learning how to use this right leg, if I just start using it, I'm going to be far more equipped when that test comes than if I ignore it. And that's what I would like us to take a step forward in. I need, not just for me as one of the leaders here, to say, guys, I want us to do this at 100%, which means every single one of you that is a part of this body needs to be functioning The word involved just sounds bad, doesn't it? It's like, hey, I want to get you guys involved. Because then you're like, oh, involved in what? I'm going to answer that. But the first thought I want to be triggering in your brain is, I'm important to the function of this body. And therefore, there is some grace that you as an individual have been given. And it's not to just sit in a seat and go, amen, brother. That's not the grace that you've been given. There's something beyond that that I want us to understand. So the grace for this body movement is referred to in Scripture as pneumaticos charisma. Doesn't that sound fancy? That's what we've all been given. Pneumaticos charisma. What do we know about pneumaticos charisma? Now, if any of you, do you notice how I'm pronouncing the uh, charisma with charisma? Just so that some of you don't trip over it. If I say charisma, then some of you immediately think of a magazine or you immediately think of a movement It's a good Greek word that is safe, okay? And this is precisely what the Holy Spirit has given us. This is what it's called. Typically translated, gift. I mean, if I were you, I would be excited to receive a gift. However, I'm me, and there's a lot of baggage surrounding that word charisma. And as a result, that's why I'm pronouncing it with a Greek sort of uh, tone to it, so I can hear it different too. Because if you have had any of these things distorted in your worldview, in your mindset, it can be difficult to approach them again. As if the word itself has gone radioactive. It's just a word. It's a concept that is pure. And by the way, the one who gives it is holy. So the Holy Spirit, who perfectly reflects Jesus Christ, who perfectly reflects the Father, is the one who has delivered a perfect gift. And he only gives good and perfect gifts. So whatever this is, is not bad in and of itself. It's very good. So to better explain this, these words, pneumaticos charisma, it comes from two roots of pneuma, which would be spirit. So the Holy Spirit would be the pneuma, capital P. And charis, which is translated as grace. So our word in the Greek for grace would be charis, which comes from chiro, which means to rejoice, which is a fascinating statement. But basically, the idea is this is how you do it. In other words, I haven't, I haven't left you orphans. You see, Jesus goes on high, but he gives us something. He gives us what we need to live. He gives us grace. Grace is God working on our behalf. So how are you saved 2,000 years ago? By grace. God working on your behalf. How are you saved now? By grace. God working on your behalf. You see, it's not you that saves yourself, whether it's 2,000 years ago or in your uh, temptation for lust today. It's not you that musters up the saving grace. It's God that gives it. He's the one that rescues you. And it's his working. Faithful is he who has called you, who also will do it. You see, God is the one that does it. How does he do it? By grace. That's how we function. We function by something known as grace. It's God working. So, pneuma, uh, spirit. But when you turn it into an adjective, you get that atikos on the end. 
So pneumatikos means spiritual, typically translated spiritual, but it's merely just an adjective to show what something is. So if you're going to describe a gift, oh, it's a gift that came from above. It's a gift that came from God. It's a gift that was imparted by the Holy Spirit. So it's spiritual. It's God breathed. It's God imparted. It's given by the Holy Spirit. And then charis, which means grace, the life of God, the power of God, the power to do it. Charisma, which is a noun, or charisma, sorry to do that to you guys. Grace to accomplish. The generous supply of grace, a gift of grace. Typically, it's going to be translated as a gift. That's what it is. But it is a gift of grace. It is not just a gift. It is a gift of grace. It is a gift of power. It is a gift of life. It is a gift of ability to do. So you combine these words, pneumaticos charisma, and it's an extraordinary gift from God, delivered to us by the Holy Spirit, enabling us to actually do what Christians do. So without this pneumaticos charisma, we are unable to do what we're supposed to be doing in this body. So God says, hey, I've given you pneumaticos charisma so that you can do it. And then we're like, hey, I don't get into that stuff. Yeah, and as a result, you can't do it. So there is something that has been given to us so that we can do it. And it's rather important that we understand where it comes from. It doesn't come from some crazy guy down the street. It comes from God. And it doesn't come from just a denomination. It comes from God. And so therefore, even though it may have some barnacles on it, it's very, very important that we get a fresh lens to look at this that trusts God, that trusts that he knows how to build his church and he knows what he's doing. Where does this charisma come from? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So in the most simple sense, this charisma comes from God the Father. Okay, he, that's, that's, But how did he get it to you? Well, he sent forth his son, who's the good and perfect gift from above. Uh, and so that's the best enunciation. The greatest gift we've ever received is Jesus Christ, his very life given. And then some of you could argue, it's like, hey, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Are you downgrading the Holy Spirit? That's the gift of God too. You're right. You see, this is the gift. The gift is the life or the grace of God given in and through Jesus Christ. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? By faith in Christ Jesus, now you are baptized in the Holy Spirit because you came to Christ, because the Father gave you his life. He gave his Son to you. So then Jesus, look what it says about Jesus. He gave gifts to men. It's sort of a strange statement in Scripture, but Jesus gave gifts. He gave charisma. He gave gifts to men. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Paul, who is uh, commissioned by God, seems to have received something. And he says this over and over. I've received something. I've received a grace from God. A dispensation is what he calls it, which confuses some of us. He's been given something. He's been given charisma. Why? So that he can give it to others. Isn't that sort of a strange statement? In other words, he was given something so that he can give it. He's not supposed to just hold on to it and use it for himself. He's been given something so that he can give it. And so Paul is on a long journey throughout the book of Acts to get somewhere, and that's to Rome. But he never had gotten to Rome at this time. When he's uh, writing the book of Romans, he hasn't gotten there yet, which is it's just an odd thought to think that Paul hadn't been there yet. 
For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, a pneumaticos charisma, so that you may be established. I, I can't help but stop there and say, that's odd. And some of you are like, it's not odd to me. It's just what it says. Well, I know what it says. But why can't Paul just say, hey, I've prayed that God would just give you a pneumaticos charisma. Yeah, he just, you know, will give it to you. But why does he long to get there to Rome so that he can give them something? Why doesn't God just give it to him? Why why is Paul even needed in this whole thing? You see? See Eric's logic on it? Now some of you are like, yeah, I was fine until you said that. But that's precisely what is interesting about this topic is it seems to involve the church. You see that each of us is given a grace, and if we don't exercise that and impart it, it actually hinders the others from growing and being established. There seems to be something Paul has that he knows he needs to give. The way that it used to be described is by the laying on of hands. There was an impartation from someone like Paul to the church at Rome. And he wanted to give them a pneumaticos charisma. So Paul says to Timothy, and many of you know this scripture, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Timothy has a gift. He has a pneumaticos charisma, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. What? Why why can't Timothy just get it in his own prayer closet? Why does he have to get it that way? Hey, I didn't come up with this, guys. I'm not the one that designed all these things. I'm the one that's trying to figure it out right along with you. It's like, okay, how do we do this thing? And then Paul in 2 Timothy says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Two letters, and he says the same thing. Hey, Timothy, you received something through the laying on of the hands of the eldership. And here, we make, it becomes very clear that eldership included Paul. Paul was part of that eldership that laid hands on Timothy and imparted to him a pneumaticos charisma. And Timothy, his job is to stir it up, is to exercise this. Timothy, if you're going to do this thing of leading this church, you better use what you've been given. The key distinction of parts within the church. I'm going to use the illustration of building a house. Now, there's a reason for that. I had a whole bunch of different illustrations that I worked up this week. Delete, 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 delete. Because building a house is God's own illustration, so I figured I couldn't go wrong with that one. There are those responsible for overseeing the building process of the church, and there are those responsible for being tools and materials in that building process. I'm going to break this down for you and how I would see it. Paul gives five different lists showing different roles, functions, ministries, and he doesn't spend a lot of time teaching us about them. He just gives them, almost as if it's obvious to us when we're hearing it. And all I can say in talking back to Paul all these years later, Paul, you could have added a little commentary here because we've had church splits over this. So it really would help if you give us, gave us a little clarity right there. Right, right? Oh, no, you didn't give it. Oh, no. Not everyone is given the specific charisma to be an overseer of the building process. So what I said here is there seems to be those responsible for overseeing the building process of the church. And then there are those responsible for being tools and materials in that building process. 
And not everyone is given the specific charisma or charisma to be an overseer of the building process. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul is going to describe to Timothy different roles within the church that we would understand as governmental roles. They're going to be overseers. A bishop, for instance, is one of them. Isn't that an awkward word? A bishop. So I don't know how many of us use the term bishop in here. It's like, oh yeah, Bishop Eric. This is like, don't call me that, please. The word doesn't translate well for us, but it, it means an overseer. It means one who is an inspector. It's someone who is watchful over all that is taking place. Why? Because there is a proper form of how things are going to take place. And if that form gets off, it can lead to injury. So an overseer is responsible for keeping what we could call the form, the pattern. They're the ones that are supposed to be in the word and doctrine, laboring to make sure that a form is kept. So we have episcopy, uh, oftentimes translated as bishop. I know some of the more modern translations help us out with the word overseer. Uh, The wise inspectors, overseers. Then we have presbyteros, elders is typically the translation. We would typically say pastor uh, in in our American church system which is the seasoned and readied shepherds. These are men that have proven at the, in their family life and in smaller ways that they are protectors and they are ready to serve. They are measured in their character. All of these positions have to be measured. So not everyone is in this position. You are literally selecting out, or the term electing out is used many times in uh, the book of Acts, those that are elders and overseers. Diakonos are deacons, or the servants committed to keeping things in order. So there seems to be this layer of those that are responsible for overseeing the building process. And then there's a whole bunch of tools and a whole bunch of building materials. You know who the builder is? Well, his name is Jesus, and he uses the Holy Spirit as his prime tool to bring about his ends in constructing something known as the house of the Lord, the church of Jesus Christ. But everyone is given a specific charisma to be the building. So I said not everyone is meant to be an overseer, but everyone is given a specific charisma to be the building. You are God's building. Can you get any more clear than that? That's strange. It's like you are God's building? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple... In the Lord, a holy house in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Do you not know that you're the house of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know how this thing functions? You see, it's not you figuring this out on your own. It's you giving up this and allowing God to build it up, but he does it by living inside of you. Christianity. You are the temple of the living God. You are that house of the living God. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Well, we could hear that with two different uh, sets of ears. How about this being the house of God? So, Eric, I need to teach you how to conduct yourself inside of this, this house. Also, That we would know how to conduct ourselves inside of this house. The house isn't the building. Any of you that have ever said that, it's like, why do people get caught up in a building? The building, you're exactly right, it isn't a structure. We are the house. 
This is, but we need to know how to conduct ourselves in this house, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's a pretty high compliment for what we represent here. The house of God. So, this is at least my first shot at attempting to create an understanding of these five lists that Paul gives. Okay? I am going to let you know that it's a bit dangerous for me to try and organize this because this, these very topics have created schisms in the body of Christ. Which is funny because Paul, the whole purpose for him writing 1 Corinthians is because they had schisms in Corinth. And so what is he dealing with? This. It's like, guys, you've got problems over this issue. So it doesn't make any sense for us to have issues on this issue. That's what I'm trying to avoid. I'm not interested in issues. I'm interested in creating plain speech on it. Because we have a lot of terminology that comes in from different sectors. And someone comes in, they feel so normal saying it. But it's sort of a term that comes from over yonder, another church. And so someone comes in here and they start using that term. And all, you know, a few of the others that came from more conservative environments like, what in the world are they talking about? And they can deem that person as off. When in actuality, it might not be that they're off, it's that they're describing it differently. They're taking the same issue, and they have a, a unique way of phrasing it. Okay, now that's possible. It's also possible that they're off. Okay, that is always a, a consideration there. But I want us to just have plain spoken understanding on these topics so that we don't trip over them, but that we can begin to function with this movement. So the chief architect, the father, Who's coming up with the, the overall blueprint, Prince? Well, the Father. The master builder, Jesus. The foreman, the chief helper, the Holy Spirit. The handy, humble helpers of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of H's in there, uh, are the bishops, the elders, and the deacons. The primary tools, the, apo- the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the pastors. The building materials, or what we could understand as the Home Depot shopping list. Some of us are given a supernatural impartation to minister and serve. It's like, hey, guys, uh, we need uh, that one piece of lumber that goes over here. Hey, who has the hammers? Who has the, uh, the compressor? Uh, and so every one of us has been given something. And most of us are like, huh, not me. And it's like, well, have you stirred up whatever you got there? I don't know what I got. I didn't even think I had anything. And so as a result, when someone asks for the compressor, no one raises their hand. We're like, great. So we have all these pneumatic tools and no compressor. Uh, and that's a, that's a difficulty, okay? So then we end up going to, you know, all the, uh, the, the other old-fashioned ways of building things. Some of us are given special empowerment to teach, some to give, some to lead, some to even have a supernatural capacity to show mercy to others. Some of us are given words of wisdom to bring to the construction site. Some of us are given words of knowledge. Some of us are given a special faith. Some of us are given the grace for healing. Some of us, it's the performance of miracles. Others, it's the ability to prophesy. Others are able to discern. Some are given the supernatural grace to speak in different languages. And some can interpret different languages. Some are given a unique grace empowerment to help. And then there are some that are uniquely empowered to administrate within the body. So, I'm going to go back here in our list. Now... The reason this is a little sticky may not be sticky for you because I'm organized and you may not have any issue with my organization. However, part of what we've struggled with in our modern day 
is the elevation of what I'm going to call the primary tools. The apostles, the prophets, specifically, above those that are the handy, humble helpers. And that has created all sorts of breakdown in the body, in the day and age in which we live. And so when you see me organize it this way, it's not accidental. Because Paul would go to a church and he would establish elders in that church to run that. And then the church would have apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And so as a result, I'm submitting to you what I see, and I've actually had another message on this to bring a lot more clarity than what I'm saying now, and it's called the pattern passers. And to say that there were capital A apostles and prophets, known as the apostles like Paul. And Paul was over the churches, but when he set up churches, he didn't put apostles over the churches. He put elders, bishops, elders, and deacons over the church, and then apostles would be given, they would be given a pneumaticos charisma to be that in the church, which we would typically understand as missionaries or uh, uh, church planners, people that understand the vision and can effectively implement it, both at home and abroad. So then we have the building materials. There's been a lot of issues on that. And even me reading through that, by the way, all I did was tell you what's in Scripture. I I tried not to make commentary. But for some of you, you get excited when you see the list. You're like, oh, praise God that Eric's finally bringing this into the body of Christ. For some of you, it scares you to death. And I just want you to know that everything I list is safe territory. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. If the Holy Spirit wants to give something like that to our body... I don't want to be someone who's like, hey, hey, no, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to give that in our body. If the Holy Spirit knows we need it, hey, then part of my job is to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do. Remember, let's go back to the order of things. The Holy Spirit is over the bishops, the elders, and the deacons. Now, if I was to say it simply, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we could just say the Word of God. Okay, we could say the word of God is over the bishops, elders, deacons. Who really rules the church? Who's the head? The word of God. We know him as Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will not take from anything but from the word of God. He takes from Jesus and brings it to us. What we do in this church should never violate the form or the pattern of the word of God in scripture. Ever. So that's our safety in how we discern. Being a handy, humble helper of the Holy Spirit, I should have added that in, that would have made it more fun. Being a handy, humble helper of the Holy Spirit is good for all, but not for all. In other words, the bishops, elders, and deacons, not everyone is meant to be that, and that's okay. That seems to be what Scripture clarifies. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So in other words, it's not a diminishment to say, if that is something that you esteem, it's good that you esteem it. This is something that God wants to build up in the church. Now this is, uh, you're going to notice, I I typically like to preach from confidence. In this one, I'm going to say I'm semi-confident, but you're going to notice even my terminology here that it's a little wobbly need. It's very possible that all of us are intended to be tools. Okay, So I'm calling these tools. Uh, The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So I lean in the direction of saying, I believe that every single one of us is being equipped to function as a tool and also as building materials. 
Okay, in other words, how this all works, if you were to look at me and ask me, what are you, Eric? I'm an amalgamation of a whole bunch of things. And so I'm not a purebred evangelist. That's all I am. I'm not a bishop, elder, or deacon. I'm just an evangelist. And I have no of the other, none of the other uh, things in my life. That's the only thing I do. That would be totally ridiculous as far as trying to describe me. You look at any rock and you say, what's in that rock? There's a whole bunch of minerals in that rock. And so you could break it down and say, oh, it has a little quartz in it. It has a little mica in it. All those things. That's the same way we are. And we are the stones that are building the church. So it's very likely that you are a list of these things with differing quantities or amounts in you. For instance, I may have a whole bunch of quartz. You may have just a little bit of quartz. But we both have quartz. And so the point isn't how much we have. It's understanding what God has given us. And then exercising that without looking over at someone else's role and saying, how come they got the good role? God seems to go out of his way, and I'll read it for you in 1 Corinthians 12, to say, hey, and those that are uh, you know, not in the most honorable of the earthly positions, they actually get greater honor in their hidden positions. In other words, as a body, we're extra sensitive to the fact that that's important. So we need to recognize that even though in our natural man, we might say, look what they got. In our spiritual man, we say, look what they got. They have a unique grace to help this body in a very precious way. So I'm saying it's very possible that all of us are intended to be tools. So I'm not going to argue that. You know, if it ends up coming out that our pastoral team is like, you know, I actually think that's a very special group that are going to function in this way. I think, could you imagine how awkward it would be to say, not all of us are supposed to ever be teachers or be shepherds in our envi- or to ever share the gospel or to ever speak a clear word that edifies the body or to take this pattern and implement it. I mean, that's ridiculous. Of course we're all supposed to be doing that. That's why I would say it's very likely that all of us have been given a pneumaticus charisma very spe- specifically as a tool in the body. You could have a governmental position and be one of these. And... But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And it's abundantly clear. So if I seem wobbly neat on the other, even though I do have an opinion, I just, I don't want to make it sound like my opinion is just absolutely perfect on it. This I'm going to stand on. And it's abundantly clear that every one of us is given the grace to be a specific building material in the house. Every single one of us. We have a role in this house, and we need to understand what that is and participate in it. I.e., see lengthy list of building materials above. Remember our Home Depot shopping list? Mm -hmm. That list. Now, ironically, there are more things that we could stick in that list. Uh, For instance, Paul calls singleness a charisma. (laughs) So you guys can chew on that if you're single right now. It's really nice being married to bring that up. Uh, But... The point being, he says that's actually a gift. A gift, I mean, think about this, a gift from the Holy Spirit. And he makes it very clear, even in the context, that some are given this gift, some aren't. So in other words, but he looks at it as a gift. That's not a negative term, that's a positive term. So you could just chew on that one. And you could be glad I didn't add it to the Home Depot shopping list. Like, okay, we need, it. We need at least seven people in here that'll be single. Otherwise, we can't function as the body. I know the Holy Spirit may be thinking that. I wasn't thinking that until this moment. Now I'm pondering. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. Diversities, by the, mean, by the way, mean varied. They are not the same. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation, listen to this line, but the manifestation of the Spirit, or the outward demonstration of all of this, is given to each one for the profit of all. So there's going to be differences in how we function. You shouldn't just study my life and say, that's the way it's supposed to be. No, this is one way. And this is the gift to the body. I could say that. I am a gift to the body. Remember, I I wrote that one book called God's Gift to Women. Uh, I could write a a book called God's Gift to the Body, and there could be a picture of me. It would be true. It just sounds terrible to say it that way. All of you could write the book, though. All of us are a gift to the body because the Holy Spirit has invested something in us as believers to contribute in our unique way to the building up of our marriages, our families, our businesses, our churches, and the global church. Not just local. I mean, if you're in a home group, you have a gift for that home group. If you're in this group, you have a gift for this group. But when you go into a smaller domain like a marriage, you have a gift for your marriage. Your spouse has a gift for that marriage. Stir it up. Because the same spirit that is imparting to to us for this body is the same spirit that equips us to showcase the kingdom of heaven in all its different forms. God gives to each of us uniquely. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Wasn't that a statement? I'm going to read it again just in case you started to gloss over as we were going through this. Having then gifts differing, so we know that we have different gifts, according to the grace that is given us, so we're all given grace, but they're different gifts. We all have different gifts. Let us use them. Well, that could, I could have just read that, read that scripture and we could have been done today. That's the whole point of what I'm saying. Every single one of us needs to recognize that we've been given something unique and special for the body. Let's use it. Each one of us has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. By the way, the context is singleness. The gift of singleness in this. And so I'm, I'm not trying to press that at all. Uh, I'm just happy I'm married. I love being married. But uh, being single, if you're given a grace for it, is probably a wonderful thing. Okay, I had to put the word probably and That was terrible. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. I've written a lot of books on a relationship, and I'm a big fan of people allowing God to write their love stories. So just so you know that, I'm not trying to make any statement here. I just, I keep stumbling into this topic here. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. So I know that that was written to Timothy, but can you take it to yourself? Do not neglect the gift that was given you. Now, here's what I want you to think, and I don't think this is a bad thought. Have I received a gift? Now, I, you, could, you could say, I have Jesus, and I have the Holy Spirit. Some of you might even stop there. It's like, do I have the Holy Spirit in the way that the Bible describes it, though? That, I think they're good questions to ask. The second one is, okay, now Timothy received his gift by Paul laying hands on him. Uh, I don't know that that's ever happened in my life. You know what? 
I'm not going to argue with you and make it sound like, you know, some super spiritual thing to say, oh, well, that doesn't count anymore. It may. That's exactly why I'm bringing this up. You see, God gives us Jesus. Jesus, when he resurrects and ascends to the right hand, receives all things from the Father. Primary, the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is given to us at Pentecost. And when we receive Christ, now we have access to the Holy Spirit. But that grace that is given to us seems to be deposited, like Paul saying, I long to get to Rome so that I can give you a pneumaticos charisma. Why does Paul have it? You see, God seems to give his leadership charisma so that they can impart it. The same way I would look at a father. I look at a father as receiving a very specific charisma from God for his role. And what does he need to do? He needs to impart it to his children. That's how I would look at it, right? So in a church setting, is it possible that there is a greater need for us to understand this, to recognize that maybe there is an impartation of strength, not just the allowance for gifts to be cultivated, but maybe even a praying that we would have what we need. Okay? All fair questions and fair game right now. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this is a little longer section. If you have your notes, you'll notice that. I'm going to read this through. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, contextually, you are in the midst of quite a correction book. The church at Corinth is off. They are splintered, they're split, there's denominations all over the place. You have some going after Apollo, some going after Paul, some going after Peter. And it's just like they're arguing and debating everything. There's schisms among them. And so Paul is categorically just going through each of these individual issues that is breaking the church apart, and he's bringing them back to center. He said, hey guys, when I was with you, I came knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's get back to center. Your, north, your compass is off. It's not any longer on the North Star. Now you're fixed to these side doctrinal issues. So this is part of that. You guys know what, and I know this is somewhat of a funny question, but you know what chapter follows what we are just about to read? 1 Corinthians 13. It's funny, if I were to say, do you know what follows 1 Corinthians 13? I know, mathematically you should know, but if you knew what was in 1 Corinthians 14, you would laugh. Because Paul did not accidentally stick 1 Corinthians 13 in between 12 and 14. It's his argument. His argument, for those of you, because I've been thinking out loud, but I don't know that I ever filled in any blanks. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, is what it's famously known for. Uh, Love is patient, love is kind, you know all that? That is what Paul is aiming towards. He's like, hey guys, you have pneumaticos charisma, but you're not using them with love. And as a result, you're destroying. You've lost the form. You see, you have something, but you are misusing it. We may be completely different. We don't have something to lose, and we are not using what we don't have. That's a possibility. Because I would say our error is not necessarily the misuse of it. It's the non-use or the non-having. Okay? In other words, how do you use something you don't have? It's a good question. And so as a result, for me, it's a desire to say, what is needed in our body 
so that we are not 5% laboring and the rest watching, but we are 100% engaged as a body with correct form and the word of God superintending the entire process. So one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So if you imagine that the Holy Spirit is walking through and he has you know, sort of one of those Santa uh, bags and he's coming in and he's taking out and giving each one of us a unique gift. And he's like one of those bags that's bottomless so he can take out you know, uh, skis out of it. Like, where, where did those come from? And in other words, they can be big. Some can be really small. And you could measure it just by what, what the size of the package is. That's the way I was when I was young. I remember I came down one Christmas and uh, my dad had wrapped a, I didn't know at the time, it was a, a garbage can. And it was wrapped, and I, it was the greatest Christmas ever because it was a big gift. If you've ever been a kid and you've ever gotten a big gift, that's the biggest thing. Now, inside of it was a beanbag, okay? It wasn't as exciting once I opened it. It was like, oh, that, that's why it filled the whole thing. But it's not always the size. It's the fact that it is uniquely picked for you. That can be very special when you recognize it. Most of us spend so much time evaluating before we start getting gifts what we would want. As opposed to saying, God, you know me best. You give me precisely what you know I'm built for. How do you want to use me? That's all I care about. I don't want to pre-decide what I think is best. I want to submit myself to you and say, God, you give me precisely what you want. He says, here's what I want to give you. Boy, that's small, but it's perfect for you. And guess what? It is. So our job is to receive that, to pursue. And and Paul's going to even give a greater word than to receive and to pursue. It's actually stronger than that. So God is distributing to each one individually as he wills, not as a bishop, elder, or deacon wills. Isn't that an interesting statement? It's not me saying, okay, you're going to have this gift. Actually, I may pray, but God decides what you get. That's a key in this. It's not me or the leadership of a church that defines what you receive. God is in charge of these matters. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and having, have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would it be the hearing? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So let's pause there for a second. For us as a body to recognize, this is, this is where it could be a little sticky, that there are certain things that I could easily say, because of my taste buds spiritually, I don't need that. Do you follow me? I don't need that. Uh, yeah, that's not my taste there. You know, my spiritual taste buds. Lean away from that sort of thing and in this direction. I'm just saying, let's let God define that. He knows what we need. He knows what Eric Ludy needs. He knows what we need as a body. I want him to define that. And I, though I'm still responsible for protecting a form, I'm not responsible for deciding what gift you get and 
precisely if it's needed or not. If God's giving it, then we're going to start with the assumption that, okay, it does fit the form, and even though it's not in my taste bud range, it's something that we need as a body. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. I'm going to read that one again. That's a good line. No, because he's referring to the fact that uh, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So obviously there seems to be a perception, even back then, that there are weaker gifts. But they're necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. Let me give you an illustration. A non-presentable part, giving. We are taught in Scripture how to give, and it's not public. There are certain gifts that we have that are not public gifts. Okay, so if you're giving, it's very likely not going to be seen. And so the body that understands that gift within the body gives it a special honor and deference because it needs to be hidden in its functionality. Do you follow me? Okay, so in other words, we need to recognize that not all that we do is front and center. We have a weird American mindset of how the church is supposed to work, which means whoever's on stage is most important. When in God's economy, that's not necessarily how it plays out. And it's not to the diminishment of a guy holding a microphone and leading, saying, oh, he's nothing. And so we all spit on the guy holding the microphone. Let's refrain from that. However... It's understanding that every single one of us is of value in a unique way. And when we recognize that, we begin to function in a manner that we never could if we just idolize one position. Uh, Where are we? Uh, But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that which lacks it, that there should be no schism or break in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Boom, 1 Corinthians 13. So Paul is enunciating. Now you could say, what did you just trim out there? And it's all sorts of lists that Paul has. I trimmed out two lists that Paul has just in in 1 Corinthians 12. And you could say, why'd you do that? Purposely, so you don't get distracted. It's the lists that tend to distract us nowadays. I want you to see what Paul's saying. We've all been given something. Okay, I don't want to trip over what he's given us. I want us to focus on the fact that we've been given pneumaticos charisma. All right? And we've been given it for a very specific purpose. And all of us are given it. Or all of us can receive it. Sometimes there's gifts given that we don't take. There could be a gift here with your name on it. You never take it. It's possible that some of us have never pursued a gift. I remember when Les and I purposely uh, came to God. This is, I don't know, 12 years ago. And we said, God, we know that you've equipped each one of us uniquely. How do we appropriate that? How do we get that? What are we supposed to do in our life? And I began to realize very specifically, it's funny how Leslie and I even determined this, because we prayed for weeks and weeks on end, saying, God, is this something that we go and have someone lay hands on it? <laughs> we had no idea what to do in our situation. And yet, what we came to is that there was something deposited in us, like, for instance, faith for me. I have faith. 
And it's, to me, it seems totally normal. And I didn't even recognize that I had it until certain things started happening. I'd be like, no, God's in control of that. Unless it would sort of look like, how do you know that? Isn't it obvious? God's in control of it. I had an extra allotment. I still notice that. In all of Ellerslie, I recognize that I see things that other people don't as far as confidence. I'm just like, yeah, God's going to be faithful in that. Well, guess what? My job description needs it. And so as a result, I recognize that God gave me something for the edification, not just of my own marriage and my family, but the church. And so as a result, I function boldly with my faith, if that makes sense, because I recognize it as a specific grace given to me. So listen to this last line. There's, it's the last two lines. Paul is going to say, as a conclusion, after listing a whole bunch of Home Depot shopping needs that have been given to the church, he's going to say, earnestly desire. Some translations will actually say, covet, which is funny because in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not covet. Same word. And yet what it's talking about, there's a positive use of that word and there's a negative one. To so earnestly fervently desire what you are supposed to have to function. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit, but there is something that we need to be able to build up the church. And I don't know if you feel flat in your spiritual life or you feel that this is flat, but I think we need that earnestly desire mixed into this topic for each one of us because you could hear this message and go, hmm, biblically sound, interesting take and not earnestly desire. And so what I'm saying, as far as a takeaway, you may disagree with certain ways that I have articulated this, but one thing you would have a tough time arguing is that the body has been given something in order to function. And God goes into great detail in the New Testament through each of the letters saying, this is the form, this is what you've been given. Now, what are you doing with it? You were given it. What are you doing with it? And I think it's safe if some of you say, I'm not sure I ever received it, but I want to. Well, earnestly desire that. Some of you have it, and you've known it in the past that you have something, but this environment, let me just be blunt, has not allowed you a lot of liberty to know how to function in that. Not your fault. Not, I'm not going to even blame it on the leadership. This is hard. We're growing up. We're learning. So you may have had something, but now it's lying dormant. And so as a result, we need to hear from Paul, and he says, stir that up. Now, it does help if I, as a leader, the leadership are in stride with you stirring it up. Because you could stir it up and start going berserk in here, and we're all like, hey, shut up, what are you doing? In other words, this is a team effort. Like, for instance, Hudson could catch the vision for stirring up his gift of mowing the lawn and not ask, Right? And there might be a few things I want to say before he does. Like, whoa, uh, it's on level two. It should be on level four. You're going to, you know, saw off all the grass. I was cutting the field with that. Yeah, we need gas in it. You're going to be stuck out in the, you know, the back 40 with that machine because we need to fill it up with gas first. Oh, but by the way, we need to do that. In other words, there could be something that would be important to coordinate with daddy on. Okay? And so as a result, the coordination is part of it. But what I want to do is at least lay out a vision to say this is a burden. So Paul says, listen to this line, earnestly desire the best gifts. So immediately when you think best gifts, you're going to think tongues, prophecy. I mean, because that's just what it's associated with. But pneumaticos charisma doesn't have to always just be a Home Depot shopping list. There are gifts that are premier gifts according to scripture. 
It does not mean the Home Depot shopping list is bad. It just means don't miss out on the chief gifts. What is the next chapter following that line? Love. Okay, so don't miss out on love while you're going after your tongue. Okay, in other words, hey, it's actually better to have this love than to have the tongues of men and of angels but not have that love and be a clanging symbol. That's the context, by the way. So the chief, chief gift of the Father to us is Jesus. So that's where I would start, by the way. Uh, I would say make sure you earnestly desire, you crave the fullness of Jesus Christ. This is what moved Paul. Every time you hear Paul actually wax eloquent, what's he waxing eloquent about? More of Jesus. Jesus' chief gift to us is the Holy Spirit. So for you in your life, if you are still functioning in your Christianity in your own power, in your own strength, in your own diligence, you're missing the power to do it. It's called grace, but very personally, it's known as the Holy Spirit. It's the life of God imparted in and through Jesus Christ. He's God. The Holy Spirit's chief gift to us. By the way, there's an entire denomination out there that would probably say tongues. Because that's, the, that's literally a breaking point in denominations over that issue. I'm going to tell you the chief gift of the Holy Spirit is love. It's a gift. You don't have it in and of yourself. This is something that must underlay every other function that you do. If you're missing Jesus, you're missing the whole kit and caboodle. If you have Jesus but are missing the Holy Spirit, well, you're going to be powerless to do it. You have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. I'm supposed to stay away from you. That's not the real deal. That's not the real thing. You can have the Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but you must have the love that he wants to work in you and through you. Then we are a safe environment because if we truly love one another, we'll be patient with each other. We'll be kind when someone doesn't handle their pneumaticos charisma just right. You see, we will actually not be like the church at Corinth, which had a lot, but it didn't have the love. May we start different and learn from Paul's letters what the Corinthians missed. And let's start this out correctly. I don't know what it looks like. All I know is that God needs to be in charge of it. Why are we the recipients of all this amazing charisma? Ephesians 4 gives an answer for that. Why is he giving it to us? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Now, let me make a comment here. Most of us would be afraid on the conservative side of this that in allowing pneumaticos charisma in, we would become crazy children being tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine. Isn't that an irony? When in actuality, this pneumaticos charisma is given to help remove that childishness in the body. Because not every function of the gifts is to do crazy stuff. It's to actually bring order and functionality. It's actually a greater safety for the body. So by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. 
I'm going to read that again just in case you're wondering if I got lost. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, the good thing is I'm going to sneak off the stage after we're done before you can raise your hand and ask a whole bunch of clarifying questions. It's okay right now. I think it's okay if we have questions. I just want you to know as a body that this is a burden for me. I understand if you have concern. I really do. By the way, I have it. As I'm saying all this, I have concern, okay, of what could happen if I share that. And yet, I'm sharing it because I actually believe very strongly this is what the Word of God says. Not because I understand all of what it will look like in its full maturity. I trust that the Holy Spirit, when I am bent before His Word, desirous to please Him with proper order in what we do, that we will all recognize that is God. Have you ever had it where you're in a spiritual environment? You're like, I don't know that that's God. Uh Uh-huh, I've been there. That's what I don't want. I want us, even if it's different than what we're used to, to say, that's God. Simply put, that we may all gain Christ, be found in him, know him, and know the power of his resurrection, as well as the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death and to attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, this is what we're after. And this is what we need. We need grace to be able to do it. And Jesus has given gifts to men. He's given us what we need. Yes, the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's given us all love. We all have access to that love. That's not uniquely proportioned out in the sense of, oh, and you have love, but you don't get it. All of us are given the basic foundation for this, and then God layers on very specific attributes to it. This is what it leads to right here. So what should all of us do? I think we should earnestly crave, covet, whatever word you want to use for that, desire the best gifts. That's what we should do. We should desire. We should crave. If you're lacking that craving, that one part of you that just is like, eh, neutral, passive, ask God to stir you. There is a need for each of us to have something to be able to function as we are. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E dot com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.